0: Welcome to the Five Leadership Questions podcast brought to you by Ministry Grid. Ministry Grid is an online church leadership and volunteer training platform offering a library of over 3,000 video sessions, as well as other resources, which provide practical training for every ministry area of your church. Right now, you can get started with an annual subscription for 50% off. Don't miss this great deal. Find out more and get started today at ministrygrid.com. Now, enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. My name is Daniel M, and I'm pleased to be with Larry Osborne. Hey, Larry, thanks for being with us.
1: Hey, glad to be with you. Thank
0: you. Awesome. Now, Larry Osborne is the one of the teaching pastors at North Coast Church in California. He is... Um, and if you don't know who Larry Osborne is, shame on you, <laughs> uh, because Sticky Church, Sticky Teams, Lead Like a Shepherd is the newest book that he came out, A Contrarian's Guide to Knowing God. So there's a lot of books that is um, that, have, that have come out of Larry and, and out of his ministry. And, and we actually, a little bit, a while back, interviewed him on newchurches.com, just all around, um, I mean, leadership, discipleship, multiplication, multi-site, teaching, preaching. So it's it was a great interview and we'll link to that in the show notes. But today we wanted to talk about our five leadership questions. So Larry, let's, let's just start right off the bat and with the first one, which is who are you learning from?
1: Well, you know, I've always been eclectic in terms of who am I, am learning from. And there, there's two questions I never quite know how to answer. Uh, what is God teaching you? Because some days he's teaching me a lot, and the next day is just a day about obedience. You know, mm-hmm. every day is not a highlight day, if you will. And uh, the same thing from what are you reading? What are you learning from? Uh, so, uh, at, at this point, really, when I when I think about that question, it's it's from friends, uh, it's from peers, uh, and other leaders. Just kind of iron sharpening iron is by far having the most effect on me right now. And there have always been seasons in my life where there's somebody that's really speaking into my life or mm-hmm. uh, early season of my walk with God, uh, early seasons of leadership. Uh, there were, there were people that just jumped out and, uh, had a major shaping, but I, I think in the real world for most of us, we have those seasons and those few people and then really the rest of life, unless you're a voracious reader journaler, then at any time you can answer that question properly. Uh, the rest of life for most of us is just a, a little bit of iron sharpening iron and, yeah. uh, that's kind of the zone I'm in right now. I've got a lot of friends, and all over the world—from from finances to politics to leadership to uh, theology—there's just things that are chipping away at my life and and continuing to shape me. And I hope well until the day I die. Yeah.
0: So, so what does that look like then for you specifically? Because sometimes we, we, you know, we look at other people and we look at it one dimensionally, right? There's just other people. There's, there's me, there's others. And, and then, but then when you look deeper into it, I mean, even before we started the interview, you said you had just come back from a vacation and they're a group of friends that you often will kind of connect with. And, and, you know, we have those groups, we have kind of, I don't necessarily want to say inner circle, outer circle, but, but there's, some of us who will go to um, others have put it kind of like a constellation of mentors and, and others have kind of said, Hey, who are your Pauls? Who are your uh, Barnabases? Who are your Timothy? So how does that, how do you kind of group everyone or or what does that look like for you specifically?
1: Yeah. Well, I think once again, maybe that goes back to the seasons in life Uh, because very much I was a Timothy to somebody early on in my ministry. And there are people that I'm pouring into at this point in my life uh, in the same way. Uh, but, uh, what, it, what it has looked like over time is at certain seasons where I am totally lost, I almost always latch on to either a mentor through somebody I read, uh, I listen to, or I'm privileged to actually have a real relationship with. Yeah. And then when you kind of move to the next level of some level of expertise or understanding that that's when in that area of your life, you, you start just, uh, being iron sharpening iron. So, for instance, you mentioned uh, we call it play group—the group, this group okay. of friends we go with—and it doesn't matter how old you are; you still need a play group. I, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, um, those uh, two of them are uh, in real estate, and and one of them's in development. And uh, actually, as a leader of a larger church, I get involved in development, real estate, banking, all kinds of things that nobody ever taught me uh, in, in seminary. And uh, from them, I'm always just asking questions, even though we're good friends to this day. Like, why did you do that? Now, now what's your thinking here? Why do you sell this? Why do you hold on to that? Uh, early on in my ministry, uh, I did that to a lot of uh, business leaders so they could mentor me. I'd take them out and they all assumed that what I probably was going to do is try to teach them the Bible yeah. uh, and how to pray and how to share their faith. Uh, and of course I was a younger guy at that point and they were older than me. And, uh, Timothy says you should treat older men like your father. Mm. And so I would take him out and say, tell me about your business, successful people. What are your keys to success? How do you view life? How do you do family and uh, God and work balance? Uh, uh, why did you make this deal? What deals do you walk away from? Uh, how, how do you, uh, Make sure you hire good people. You can imagine all those kind of questions, and they're mentoring questions, but not from a mentor. Yes, they're mentoring questions from people. Yeah. Now, and now the irony was, once I start asking those kind of questions of people, uh, they're very open for me to speak into their life as well. So it's a win-win. I get to speak into their life, and and I learn about life. That's great. Now, the the play group are these
0: gentlemen from your church? Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So yeah. I, I, cause I've heard uh, differing opinions and, and some of it is generational and other times it doesn't really matter how old you are or how young you are. It's, it's more of a, an outlook, but I, you know, there are some people who are like, well, don't get too close. I've heard some people say, don't get too close to the people in your church uh, and others be like, well, if, I mean, shouldn't you be exemplifying (laughs) what it looks like to disciple and, and to be transparent and, and others are like, no, but you need to have a little bit more of a separation and have friends outside. So how does that, what does that look like for you?
1: Well, it's a little difficult to have your very best friends you vacation with and all of that stuff, uh, in a reporting structure to you, because when you have to put on your boss hat, uh that's a little harder. Now that doesn't mean you can't be great friends and enjoy one another, but there's there's that that deep connection level that I I, I think can be very confusing. Yeah. Um, many times like say if you're in a church plant or something, well that's you're all in this thing together at the beginning and that's going to be the way it is anyway. But it's a little idealistic to think over the years the people that report to you are also going to be your best friends. Uh, but they can still be great friends. I want to make that okay. crystal clear. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think it's generational. I think it's more personality, mm. um, whether or not you feel comfortable having friends in the church. Uh, I've always felt bad for people who warn you against having close friends that you're totally transparent and vulnerable within the church because it'll bite you. Well, that's the same thing that say never go out with anybody or fall in love because that can bite you as well. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, to me, life is worth the risk. Yeah. And uh, I have always had uh, close friends in the church. And I've been burned in small little ways, but it's no big deal. But I've received way more benefit by uh, not living as some sort of fake Christian or or a different kind of Christian because I'm in leadership. Uh, I'm just like everybody else, the priesthood of believers. I have a role, you have a role, they have a role. And uh, we need friends.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Now, I'm curious, what What are you reading these days? And, you know, still on the topic of who are you learning from? What are you reading these days or listening to?
1: Uh, well, I don't have anything right now, a particular book that I'm reading outside of about five that I've been asked to endorse. Okay. <laughs> about 20 some <laughs> out of those a year. And I do this weird thing where I actually read a book I endorse. How yeah. novel uh, is that? But uh, my main reading that I, I structure my life around <laughs> excuse me, Uh, my main reading that I structure my life around these days, and probably been that way for almost 10 years, uh, is a structure that I have in the morning, uh, in which I have set up a news service, you could, you know, you could use uh, Flip, uh, Book, you could use Google, you could use whatever. And uh, I get a series of headlines, and then I have no idea what I'm going to (laughs) chase. Absolutely no idea. Am I going to chase medical things? Am I going to chase science? Uh, The other day I was reading something on uh, quantum physics, and uh, you know, which is not exactly my field, but it was uh, readable. And uh, I'm just always trying to learn because I think as as life goes on, the more eclectic you can be, Mm. uh, the more helpful you're going to be. Because the people you minister to are all over the map. So I probably spend. It could be as short as a half hour to as long as an hour and a half uh, reading every single day and it includes Christian authors, it includes podcasts, but uh, I more look at the menu and decide what I want to eat that day.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm a little bit of the same way with, uh, I, I use this app called Feedly and I have a ton of different genres of articles and such and, and recently Google came out with their assistant uh, right. where, where you could actually ask it to make an appointment for you. So I kind of kept on going down that road and I read this book called micro trends and, and just started going deep into AI and trying to learn all about it. And <laughs> I'm like, well, and in light of all, I was like, okay, now what does this look like for the church? So I wrote something on my website about that, but it's just, I'm, I'm in the same way in that, you know, you kind of just want to learn broadly.
1: Yeah. Because I never know where, uh, associative learning will, will take me. You yeah. see, most of our simple problems in life can be solved just by our experience and wisdom and background. They get a little tougher, they're solved by your team, they get a little tougher, they're solved by the tribe or the world view you have and hang around. But all of our biggest problems in life are gonna be solved by people outside of our paradigm. Yeah, And it's called associative learning where you get one piece of information over here that seems unassociated with something over here, and the light bulb goes on, and you go, "Oh, I can connect those." That's great. Um, a good example would be, you know, years ago when we started the video venue thing at mm-hmm. North Coast, uh, that obviously has spread. Um, that that came from reading some technology stuff and some theology stuff, and uh, in the midst of a problem of out of space and time, good time slots, bingo, a solution came. Yeah, I find that happens a lot.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, let's go to the second question. And uh, here it is. What's the main point of emphasis for your leadership team right now?
1: Well, our mission statement is uh, making disciples, uh, followers of Jesus, you know, the next step of obedience in a healthy church environment. Mm. And pretty much over most of the time, and, and still today, I'd say our main point of emphasis is just how do we spiritually and organizationally maintain a healthy pace? Yeah. Uh, and it's not all just about health, because that word pace is in there. Mm. Uh, so it's not stopping and navel-gazing. Uh, but uh, how do we keep at this thing for the long haul? I'm often asked, what are your metrics, you know, for the staff and ministry and from the church? And I always tell people, I don't really have a metrics for myself or any staff member, we have direction. Yeah. And I never know how far towards that mountaintop we're gonna get today or this year we, we all greatly overestimate what we can do in one year and underestimate what God can do in five. Yeah. So the key is to, uh, keep that energy level. So you're not burning out in the last few minutes of the fourth quarter.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so with that direction, then do you still have some sort of loose metrics, key metrics by the end of the year or anything like that? Or
1: you know, pretty much here at North coast. And again, this is descripting, not prescriptive, but they're much more around health. Okay. Uh, we believe that real church takes place in circles, not in rows, mm. uh, and uh, as probably many of your listeners know, the hub of our ministry are these uh, life groups, uh, uh, lecture lab, sermon-based model, and yeah. and we have over 90% of the number of adults that show up on a weekend showing up every week in these, not mm. signing up, but showing up. So that's a metrics that we've watched forever. Yeah. If you really believe that's the core of the church, you're not going to be happy with lots of new people showing up if they're not getting involved. So we do, we do have some of those metrics. Retention is the greatest measure of health in any organization. So, you know, a staff member, what's your retention of volunteers? What's our retention of staff? Those things we measure, but the numbers we grew by, we measure, but we don't hold them as metrics. Uh, We just want to inch by inch. And some years we go miles, some years we go inches.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Now, last year at our pipeline conference, we focused on the topic of succession. And uh, many of our listeners might not know the steps that you guys have taken uh, years, years and years ago in, in bringing Chris on uh, to be one of the teaching pastors with you. I mean, where are you guys at in that entire succession process?
1: Well, here's what I've noticed, and I've mostly worked with a younger guy in a succession process. And uh, when succession is uh, called succession over a long period of time, uh, five years, seven years, what that really means is the, the, the older person is feeling a little bit tired, and they're thinking, my goodness, I don't know if five, seven years from now I'm ready for this. Well, at the halfway point, they go, man, that was the fastest two and a half, three years of my life. And the poor pe- person waiting in the wings goes, that was the longest three decades of my life. <laughs> and, and so I, for decades, literally, have told people, I don't think a succession plan should be more than 18 months mm. because it's very hard to get a big L leader uh, who will wait three, four, or five years. Um, they don't do that. Uh, strong, great number twos do that. So what? Uh, instead, what we've always done at North Coast Church, and this goes back even before Chris came, is we've always tried to, we believe a healthy organization should have, uh, if the plane goes down, obvious person. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. everybody without pulpit committees on, they just turn to that person and say, wow, okay, you've got you're in the cockpit, you're steering this plane. Uh, that's why going way back to just three or four hundred, I, I began to share the pulpit pretty much when nobody else was doing that, and yeah. everybody's telling me I'm setting up a coup, uh, <laughs> because you certainly don't have an if the plane goes down person if they're not very strong in the pulpit as well. And what's with Chris Brown and I? He's obviously been if the plane goes down guy. Uh, then we've done this kind of weird co-pastoring for the last few years, mm-hmm. and uh, people will notice this year, say on the Outreach 100 listing, his name will be first and mine will be second. Okay. Uh, we're still co-pastors, uh, but it's, it's time for, you know, if you have a co-pastor, you still always have kind of a 1A, if you will. And in this case, I was here first. I hired him, et cetera. So it's important for us to step it to say, no, Chris, you're the managing partner, even though we're still co Yeah. So I'm not stepping away. I'll I'll know within 18 months when it's time for me to kind of step away. Uh, But uh, you can't have a very gifted, powerfully anointed leader like uh, Chris Brown, who forever is going to stay second, uh, you know, in the list. And not that he's demanding in any way to be first. Uh, That's just human nature. So, uh, you know, we've all got our roles right now. Yeah, and uh, we we're, we're tigers of our own hills and that's kind of the way we're we're doing it so we don't use the word succession here okay uh, but if my plane goes down guess what you know he's not going to get another co-pastor uh, and if his plane goes down I don't know what I'd do yeah. <laughs> I'd cry a lot
0: <laughs> well you know I, I appreciate you guys uh, leading the charge and 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 showing the the the, the big sea church uh, especially here in the West uh, examples of healthy co-leadership and, and what that looks like, especially as uh, even if you look at the trend and what is it, I think about 10,000 boomers are reaching the age of retri- retirement every single day, not to say yeah. that they are retiring, but reaching that age. So as the average age of senior pastors, across the West goes up. Um, you know, everyone's going to be looking to examples like how, how you guys did it and how Bob Russell did it and how John Piper did it and how various individuals went about. And here's
1: the problem. If you wait until succession, you're going to look around and you're going to have a very old church. Mm. And then the successor has a very difficult job of making it young. But if you always have and if the plane goes down, Like Uh at North Coast, we actually have three teachers. The third person on our teaching team, I believe he's 29, Okay, uh, Christopher Hilkin, today. So, uh, again, see, this is something that makes for a healthy organization. It's not something you suddenly decide to do because you realize retirement's coming up. Yeah, that's, that's too late. Right. That's like saving, you know. Suddenly going, oh, I'm going to retire. I'm 50 years old. I better start saving. Yeah. It's like, dude, yeah. you should have started at 25. Yeah,
0: yeah, precisely. Uh, I love the the next question because this goes into our daily habits and rhythms and and a little bit into the behind the scenes of, of Larry's life. And and here's the question: What are two or three things that you absolutely must do daily? in addition to reading the Bible, and what benefit do they have for your life and leadership?
1: Yeah, because obviously there's a staying in contact with God, which, by the way, is going to show up different in different personalities. I I think an underlying assumption behind that question that many of your listeners have is that we're all, all the same. Hmm. Uh, and just to use one of the personality tests on Myers-Briggs, there's structured J's, uh, and there's more adapting uh, uh, personalities often called a P or an A in, in Myers-Briggs language. And, and so I always tell people, uh, you need to figure out who you are and what gives you life, not what gave someone else life. Now, I'm, a, I'm an adaptive person, the old classic Myers-Briggs P, a classic entrepreneur personality. So rigidity and structure sucks life out of me, mm. whether it's on a vacation, it's work, it's daily so the things I must do uh, every uh, single day are um, one, uh, I need Larry time to figure out what's on that priority. And it reflects in the reading thing I do pretty okay. much most every morning. Okay. Uh, if I was a J, I'd have a structure of what I would read. And my personality, what's life-giving, is to wake up and have the freedom to figure out what that is. Okay. So that is, a, a, every day, pretty much, I need about an hour and a half of Larry time and I'm a worker bee, not a journaler or a reader, but like, what am I going to do with that? That's life giving. Uh, a, a second thing is sleep. Well, I was about 35 years old and I read some of the research that is now very popular again about the need for enough sleep. And it just rang true to me. So from about 35 years on, uh, I'm not using an alarm clock. Mm. I never have a meeting before 9 a.m., uh, so that I can get up. Like this morning, I got up at five something. But if I feel the need to sleep till eight, I sleep till eight. Yeah. Uh, and, and that too has been a very life-giving uh, discipline that I think has played into the health and vigor and excitement about the future that I still have at my age today. That's great. Uh, so that's a, that's a non-negotiable. Obviously, if I'm catching a plane, I set the alarm clock.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, do you... Uh, do you do you try to strive for a certain number of hours
1: every every night? Then yeah. Well, all studies show that uh, people need different amount of hours, and mm-hmm. you can find that by not do- using an alarm clock for about a week, and you'll oh, find it what you are. I need about eight hours of sleep. I have a friend who needs about five and a half. Uh, but uh, the whole idea is letting your body tell you what you need, not trying to jam more time in and needing needing to drink energy drinks all day long. Uh, and that's, that's just not how I wanted to live my life.
0: Yeah. Oftentimes these days with the sun getting up earlier and I have an eight year old, a seven year old and a three year old, uh, they are my alarm clock. I wish, yeah, I, 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 I wish my alarm would go off, but they're <laughs> like this morning, they were up at five thirty, and I was like, kids, you could sleep for 30 more minutes and they were getting dressed, brushing their teeth. <laughs> like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Now, when when it comes to home life for you, what is what is that look like? And and first and foremost, and then secondly, what is leadership in your home look like?
1: Uh, Home life right now, we have an empty nest, but I have three grown kids, all married with children of their own who love Jesus, work in the secular marketplace, but go to various North Coast campuses. So our home life has a lot of uh, our extended family. Fortunately, uh, I'll get along well and love to be together. So, and they're uh, all, they're all local. They're all very local and go into different North Coast campuses even and serving there. So I'm uh, in a very blessed station in, in, in life. Mm. So home life looks like a, a, a lot of time just hanging around them. Uh, my wife is an accountant and has always enjoyed the aspect of serving people with her, her skill set. So uh, Nancy works three days a week, uh, I think like nine to three or, or so. So we kind of just have a rhythm of uh, hanging out together or, or, or with a family. Um, as far as leadership and what it looks like, I'm probably like a lot of people uh, that uh, thought I had a really good marriage until I went to the marriage conference <laughs> <laughs> and thought I was raising my kids pretty well until I went to the How to Raise Kids conference <laughs> because they all have a recipe. Yeah. Uh, and w- w- what I do in my life and what I encourage people to do in theirs is not to worry about the recipe but to worry about the fruit. Mm. Uh, that, that, uh, so often uh, the phrase I actually use is, uh, is uh, pay attention to the fruit, not the watering schedule. <laughs> Cause, Cause so often our focus is watering schedule instead of fruit. Yeah. So uh, I tell people, for instance, when we were raising our kids, uh, we actually had only two family vacations. Uh, you read any book on raising kids and family, we suck. Uh, then, then, uh, when, uh, my second kid got in sports, and my third one got at a fairly high state and even at times national level. Uh, We would have maybe one meal a week if we were lucky together, and it'd usually be quesadillas quick and fast. Mm. Uh, But the kids were doing well in school. They were doing well in their spiritual development. Uh, The fruit was awesome. Yeah. So why change the watering schedule? And and that's really what life looks like for me to this very day. Uh, How much I work, when I'm home, when I'm not, everything is based on, on on the fruit, not the watering schedule.
0: That's good. Now, what, what did that look like as your kids were growing up then? Uh, you, you know, you, you talked about the the busyness of sports and, and this and that. But what, what did that look like spiritually then? Because that's a that's a huge uh, I mean, that's, that's a huge legacy in in the sense that your kids are serving the Lord and, and following after the Lord. So, so what,
1: what did you do yeah. while they were not only up? that they're, they're serving them for free. They don't have to be <laughs> thinking like their dad, um, You know, again, I was always looking at what produces great fruit. So uh, contrary to like what a lot of people think when they think recipe or watering schedule, uh, we tried family devotions twice and decided that doesn't work. Uh, uh, Nobody wants to have family devotions with a pastor, you know. (laughs) Well, the Greek word here is (laughs) um, we watched their friends very carefully. Were they the kind of friends uh, we because they had a great youth group, a larger church they were a part of? And uh, all, Christian family, we want to make sure we didn't inoculate them. So we actually blew away most of our friends by putting them in a, uh, not the best reputation even, uh, uh, public school system when they were in junior high because I wanted them to rub shoulders with all kinds of things and people when I was around to help them process it yeah. rather than protect them from it. And then suddenly they're in college and it's the first time they find out, fill in the blank. you yeah, know. That's a good word. Uh, so for us, it was all about just daily saying, are things okay? I would have made radical changes in an instant if the fruit had gone sour.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, But yeah. it went fine. That's good. That's good. We were That's also good. probably, one other piece I would add is, we were pretty much an open book, my wife and I. Um, she had really bad cancer at one point, by the grace of God, she's fine, they knew that. Uh, we had a financial meltdown due to things not in our control, but a particular investment uh, that uh, somebody just flat out lied on and just mm-hmm. had to go, God, you're sovereign because I do everything the same way again. They knew when that happened.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, they knew the amount of money that was lost. They they knew. So So I think that was helpful to them. I think a lot of times parents it, it's hard to teach day in and day out as you walk as you sleep uh, if you're not really real about what's going on uh, to uh, teach them how jesus speaks into everything from the good days to the bad days um, they they knew the good days as well they knew my salary they knew when things went well they knew when i get a book contract it's very much i wanted my kids to understand life as it really was that's probably one of the key things we tried to do okay
0: and and was that from a, a, a young age like elementary school
1: age or was that yeah, more when really they were in high school. Back to elementary school again being age appropriate yeah but uh you know two of the kids were very young when nancy had her cancer could she die was an obvious question they asked within days yes you know none of this oh god will take care of it uh one of them was, ju- probably they were junior high before they knew some of the financial things uh, in life. You know, good, bad, and ugly uh, at various times. Yeah. But I think it served them well. They, as young adults, understood life a lot more than it seems like their friends did, uh, yeah. so. That's good. You know.
0: That's good. Well, we just have to see the fruit of your life. And and (laughs) so I I appreciate that. And and even when it comes to, uh, I remember what you said earlier about how, you know, your day and, and you have these yeah, You even have it in, in, in the way that you read your articles and and, and spend that Larry time and, and in the way, even with the direction of your church, I can kind of see a lot of your personality coming out into the way that you lead your church, your own time and in the way that you lead your family.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah because I don't think God made us who we are by mistake. And yeah. that's why I always use this little phrase. This is a description, not a prescription. Yeah. Because there are so many people who find their life in structure. And then I go, well, then live your life in structure. Do your family in structure. But you better be checking the fruit. Because if you got a kid who doesn't respond to structure, then you better <laughs> find a different way to do it. Because it's really, at the end of the day, everything's about the fruit. Yeah. It's not the yeah. watering schedule.
0: Yeah. One of my kids totally like me. Structure. The other one's a lot more flexible. <laughs> and it's just a challenge to uh, to, to not, and, and, you know, I, I love your words here and your encouragement and that, Hey, I need to really treat them differently, parent them, disciple them. Yeah.
1: Let me give you an example. I had an oldest child who I thought would never get a job and never live in anything, but just a pig pen. Uh, he was a very bright kid. He could do his homework very late at night in about a half hour and still be at the top of his class. Uh, and what happened over time is and my wife was helpful and, and just the way my father parented me I helped to make this change. But I began to realize I'm trying to make him into me instead of who he is. Mm. I'm I'm saying he need you know, it's kinda of like when I was young, when my mom was cold, I had to wear a jacket. And so when I'm tired, I wanted him to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> what I really needed to do was to simply ask the question, Is is his standard of neatness different than mine? And someday he'll have his own house in his life, he'll be okay. Is his standard of procrastination different than mine? Well, he's still getting the work done, just not the way I would do it. Um, and again, that was, I didn't use the phrase there, but it was a beginning of grasping that life is about the fruit, not the watering schedule.
0: Yeah, I love that, I love that. Now, let's move on to our last question, which is, if you were sitting across the table from Larry as a 20-year-old, what would you tell yourself about preparing to lead?
1: relax (laughs) pretty much nothing is as important as you think it is (laughs) you know you you can listen to the news every single day and hardly sleep at all and then you look back five years and like two of the events were all that important yeah uh and so uh that would probably be the biggest thing that life is a glacier not an avalanche Hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, Again, I, I learned that fairly early on because I had some good mentors who mm. modeled that. Yeah. But my nature as a driven entrepreneurial leader is to treat everything as a crisis, uh, to you know, dream about what's going to take place in the next six months uh, instead of realize that uh, you know, glaciers carve out Yosemites avalanches make a big mess, knock down trees. And 10 years later, you don't even know they were there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So let's let's if you wouldn't mind teasing that out a little bit. I I love that. That phrase life is a glacier and not an avalanche. What does that look like if you were to tease that out for us?
1: Well, for instance, uh, early on, I thought everybody that needed to meet to meet with me needed to meet with me right then and now. And, uh, uh, you know, I tried to hold everything that was broken together with duct tape and spit. Mm. Uh, and, and it all depended on me. Uh, so if I wasn't there, you know, then they were probably going to go to hell. Mm. Uh, and, uh, I, I just didn't understand that what I am in life is I'm a function. Uh, and I, I have a bit part in the body of Christ and I have a bit part in God's grand plan, but he's not, he's not in trouble if I don't do everything I could do. Yeah, uh, the, my, my job was to do the best I could under the circumstances, not the best I could, because I'll never get a day where I did really the best I could. And I, I just tended to beat myself up because I thought I was too important. Yeah. Um, you know, my plane goes down tomorrow. The kingdom of God will go on quite well. North Coast will go on quite well. My family hopefully will, you know, struggle with that. But the rest of it, I'm just not as important as I, I think I am. Hmm. Hmm. And. Hmm. And, and today's crisis is not as bad as I thought it was. Uh, you know, it's a pretty well-known thing that North Coast grew by one person the first three years I was there. <laughs> I remember you sharing one that. One stinking person. <laughs> well, when I, as I began to re- realize life is a glacier, huh? It grew by thousands and thousands and thousands over thirty-something years. Yeah. And I'm ready to pull the para- You know, pull the parachute and ejection. Mm. Uh button, push the ejection button, because we've grown by one. I'm yeah. glad I did.
0: <laughs> yeah. And even at, at, you know, during that time, the, what God was doing behind the scenes and in your heart and, and to prepare you for that. I mean, I'm, I'm always, I always reflect on the difference between uh, King David and King Saul and and the way that Saul didn't go through these desert moments in his life yet. David did. And And if you look at, I mean, they both messed up. But you look at what God did in and through the desert moments in David's life and and refining his character, deepening his prayer life, which I'm so grateful for the Psalms and and for us to be able to see that even when he was under duress after being anointed as king still, you know, and and the way he kind of uh, worked through that. So that's. You know, man, I, I'm so grateful for your leadership, Larry, for your legacy, for your ongoing leadership uh, through your writing and at, at North Coast. And and thank you for paving the way and, and modeling it for us.
1: Well, it's been an incredible privilege. Uh, it's been a great run and I hope there's a lot of runway left.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, <laughs> well, thanks for being with us, Larry. OK, thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. To learn more about how you can train leaders in your church year-round for 50% off, visit ministrygrid.com. Once again, that's ministrygrid.com.